Welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello, it's Trent Clark, and welcome to the Winners Find a Way show. I am your host, CEO of Leadershipities, our CEO of AIM NIL Academy. I am a longtime global speaker, and most people know me because I spent 13 years coaching professional baseball, coaching in three World Series. And today, I've got my special guest, Sarah Kate Harkness. Sharky, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, Trent. How are you? I'm great. Sharky is in Sydney today. So, you know, while I enjoy my nice little late afternoon recording time with Sharky, uh, mid afternoon, Sharky's working on like AM crack of darkness here. Did you up in the morning? Like, sorry about this. Sharky, tell them where they can find you. I'm uh, mama underscore Sharky on Instagram and on projectlotus.info. Love that. And so let's get to know Sarah a little bit. Here on the Winners Find a Way show, we always bring the 1%. Sarah is no different, has been through an absolute ringer of, uh, and I love this on your LinkedIn profile, Survivor. You are a woman in tech. That's Survivor enough, by the way, right there, minus all the other things you've been through. And there's a lot going on. You've uh, been executive and owner in two different firms now with your first one with, what is that, Cattle Dog Digital, right? Mm -hmm. Built that business up and then moved over to Project Lotus where you head up as the CEO now, longtime coach, powering a lot of people through challenges, which is absolutely awesome. And listen, when you talk about someone who's actually empowering someone through challenges, you should probably talk to someone who's been through some challenges. And so the good news is, Sarah's your girl, all right? Sharky's been there, done it. So it's pretty awesome. You have three kids, and uh, you're working on your book, Guided by Giants, which is out soon. You're going to finish that up, which is super exciting. You're a University of Sydney grad and an Adelaide kid. You're a Southern Australian. Yeah, Southers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the South. Of, like, is that warmer down there, or is that actually further away from the equator? No, it's warmer and it's dry. It's dry oh, and it's warm and it's tiny. It's, you know, I love Adelaide and bless all of Adelaide, but it is tiny. It's like a little small country town. Everyone knows everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's really well, I've got, I've got the Sydney Opera House on my bucket list. So I'm going to yeah. have to get over to the Australian Open. Yeah. You know, go see a show at the Opera House. I think, you know, if I could just do that, I feel like I would have. You have, you have come hang out with Sharky. I will do that for sure. So what most people don't know about Sharky is that you've been through the ringer through a lot of health scares, issues, challenges, and I actually share what most people don't know about you, which we've been through this lucid coma experience. Mine was very short term and Sarah's was a little longer and, and more impactful. And after surviving 
three strokes, 26 plus surgeries uh, on different things, but related to this directly. I mean, it's just been a wild ride of four years. Meanwhile, having a seven, five and three year old. Yeah, they say mums are superheroes. Uh, I kind of felt a little bit like one after. When you left the hospital, they gave you a cape and they said, hey, yeah. listen, you, you qualify now. No, like, we don't know what to do with you. Please leave. <laughs> <laughs> You're here yeah. too often. You're a frequent fly. Go now. Yeah. I think there should be some sort of cape involved there for sure. Some mm-hmm. some sort of really cool superhero outfit, you know. I always I'm love the last. I will oh, get but, one. No, whatever you want. Start rocking it everywhere. You know I what? I think we should write this up. We should call you Abundance Girl. Abundance yeah. 360, you be like the abundance girl and you're going to be a superhero just bringing abundance to all. It's totally on brand. That's exactly what I'm doing and that's exactly what I've turned it all into. And there's no other way to be, frankly, because yeah. otherwise you just stay in the misery. So it probably started as like, I don't want to be here in this moment. This moment sucks for all of the moments that were post-surgery or dealing with and I'll correct you, it was only one stroke, thankfully, but I oh, did good, have okay. three brain surgeries. So I think we're, oh, you know, sorry. the brain has had a battering, but thankfully I was not so permanently damaged by that process that I'm, you know, I can walk and talk and it was in the basal ganglia. So right at the yeah. front, motor, motor function and, and language. So. It's a crazy ride. Let's take it back. We're going to talk a little bit about winners find a way. I love the quote on the four disciplines of execution. Winners, when shown data they are losing, find a way to win. You're a young, beautiful woman. Decide, hey, women in tech is where I want to be, right? You're a 10 plus year at Salesforce. I mean, which is just a, a fabulous US brand that people know very well and obviously global brand. And I mean, do you think, are you this kid in Adelaide going, yeah, I think I'm going to be a tech guru here and a genius and spend my job working with like 98 to 99% men, a few, like this is a pretty easy way to pick out a guy, by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Or not. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Or avoid a guy. Uh, Exactly. But yeah, no, I actually was a drama buff. Like I, I swept the floors. I was a producer and a, and a stage manager and an actor. And my first company, uh, before I got into tech was a stage and screen company. So I did my first show. I directed my first show at 21. Um, my cast was entirely cast from my, um, not even a, one bedroom it was a studio apartment I sat there and you know you had all everyone come and audition and then I got a grant for 30 grand and I found the best theater because I figured if I had the best theater in Melbourne at the time because I'd moved from Adelaide to Melbourne then I would maybe make it and anyway the play got made into a film and I'm going to call it a a raging success because I learned a lot I got the worst reviews ever (laughs) But at 21, that was kind of good to get, like, get some skins. So when I moved into tech, I was already primed, ready for, I guess, some adversity in that entirely male dominated. I was in sales in tech. So in software as a service, I started my career in the same year as the GFC in 2008. Like it really was a comedy of errors and yeah. in awe, serendipity. And I, I remember. The decision was, do I go and be a producer of a TV show? It was like a Christian TV show, I don't know, making Sunday sessions or something, and then or go and work for Salesforce, and I chose Salesforce because I had seen the interface and thought it was like Facebook for business, and I just fell in love with this idea that 
you could customize something, curate it to serve a customer. And I really fell in love with that idea. And that's why, yeah, I gave 10 years of my life to Salesforce. I, I still adore them um, and the Ohana, very much an active alumni. So. so let's break that down a little bit. I mean, do you ever look back on that? As many of us do in our decisions, we make a bunch of choices in this life, right? From two different job offers to all these things. Do you look back and think, what would my life been different had I gone to produce the Christian show on Sunday, you know, like, and, and not dealt with, you know, because the women in tech, I don't think are likely the problem in tech. I think the men in tech are probably likely more of the problem. No comment, but also yeah, yeah, yeah. all the comments. Like, look, I've done podcasts and blog posts about this and, and I'm actually a huge advocate. And I think women have fought hard and long in many industries, but particularly in tech. It is still a highly male-dominated area. We don't get a lot of women in STEM. We don't get a lot of women in research in STEM. So we don't actually even get many women programmers. That's changing, thankfully, thanks to companies like GitLab. I worked for them pre-IPO for a bit. And having cultures within our organizations that are a lot more accepting and a lot more about equality. Salesforce was a really good place to... I started... a a group at the time called FemForce. I'm really not painting a great picture here. <laughs> turn, turn into this. I think like, I saw oh that God. movie, actually. It's a great movie title, you know? It's a great movie title. And we've yeah. had some incredible women and men, advocates and, you know, supporters of women generally. Matt Cameron, who's a really good friend of mine, also an author and a coach, but he uh, ran Salesforce out here in APAC at the time, and he's, methodology was about allowing it was servant leadership it was about allowing people to thrive by giving them their best work or putting them in positions to do their best work and it wouldn't matter who you were or what your background was it was actually about creating space for, for success and allowing somebody the autonomy to find that success as well they're also potentially going to find failure but success is the, the kind of key and salesforce was a great learning ground for and time for that there were other companies that i worked for and there were uh, you know people in that industry not so good and i think it's the decisions of a, a small few that ultimately affects the whole and you end up with women who don't put their hand up for that next role because of it or they drop out completely i have friends i have very close friends who now haven't gone back to work because they're like, after they had kids, because they're like, why would I? Why would I keep continuing to put myself in this position of adversity on purpose? So we've got to do a better job for not just our women, but particularly in this industry. Women have contributed so much to STEM and space and, <laughs> to, you know, this industry needs a lot more. You think like, you know, obviously you've been with some big U.S. companies right there, U.S.-based companies, right? You mentioned APAC, which is the Asia-Pacific area. Culturally, by the way, not typically women first, you know, always on the, you know, Asia-Pac, right? And so mm. is working in that environment add another layer and challenge to you're already limited in the women in tech, which we know is a low percentage, right? And now these are very influential, fast-moving companies that have massive reach. And expectations are high. Now you've got a culture that doesn't always see that the same as the value. Did you fight that at all? Totally fought that and uh, tried to be the example. It's part of why I went off and ended up starting my own company because 
I got so fed up trying to fight a system that was set up to fail. Again, I was really lucky and really blessed to have experiences like GitLab, experiences like Salesforce and even Dropbox to some degree. But there were other companies that I worked for along the way that were, I'm not going to say too much bad stuff about, but like I worked for Marketo and that was a really, really challenging time. We were already faced with being a new product in a new market with a new concept. So marketing automation, people didn't know what that was. And then to add into that dynamics within an environment, you end up with a really challenging moment. And eventually, yeah, I actually ended up leaving Sydney for a time. I didn't want to work in tech anymore. Like you end up making life decisions because of it. And Marketo was pre-IPO at that time. For people that don't know in tech, you know, goes IPO, one of the, the, the values for labor management when IPOs go is there's a lot of governance behind labor management after you IPO. Pre-IPO, we're a bunch of gunslingers trying to figure it out, right? Cowboy. It's serious cowboy. Yeah, yeah you're kind of cowboys, right? Like, And so you're like, man, we're all just cowboying up, cowgirl up, and let's do this thing. And I was like, is this going to work? I don't know. Let's just throw shit against the wall, you know? And it's a little crazy. And probably more, you know, that, that loose environment creates probably opportunity for bad actors. Is that fair? Totally. And I think the one thing that I've kind of learned in almost 20 years, so we're talking almost 20 years now in, in this industry. It's not bad. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. I've survived it. it. You can be that. You get to be that. Leading by example is a huge, particularly when you're in a position of power. In fact, your responsibility if you're in a position of power solely lies on whether or not you're a good example of what the rest of the company should look like, I feel. Like that's not your number one item in your job description. I don't know what you're doing. We have the pyramid of leadership kind of based on John Wooden's. I use the, the style of John Wooden's pyramid of success, which was written like 50s, 60s and 70s. Mm. And, and I just love the concept of it. And, you know, those cornerstones of the two triangle is integrity and humility. Like we have to foundationally get those right as leaders. And if you don't have those, like, please go somewhere else. Like, please don't lead because there's a bunch of problems when you don't have any integrity and you don't have any ability. Like we're, we're just stirring in recipe for disaster. Right. And it's just like, this isn't going to end well. There are consequences to putting people in the highly responsible the responsibility areas and productivity areas. And then all of a sudden they're missing these two key itties because you are building a foundation on sand and it's not going to hold. No. And I think that doesn't just impact somebody directly, right? That would then impact your customers. That will then impact their customers. You st- you get this flow downstream, at least in a, in a business sense, that whole downstream effect is that insidiousness of a lack of integrity that you're really ultimately that it's so just a lack of uh, accountability and integrity ends up being missed and does flow into everything. So I'm on a mission to eradicate that. Eradicate. I love that word. Good word. Let's pivot to the next point here of, you know, we always talk about, you hear the stats, like you are who you surround yourself with, the mm-hmm. five people. Well, the people with a lack of integrity, guess what? Aren't looking for integrity in their people around them, right? Like they're, they are not often concerned like, oh, this is a high moral standard I'm requiring to have because I don't want anyone looking at my moral standard too much. So I don't look at anybody else's too much because that way, uh, you know, I can, I can kind of leverage it off to somebody else if it's a problem. In fact, yeah. 
having people with a little lack of integrity around me actually gives me a bit of a scapegoat when things get tough. Like, well, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not as bad as Charles over here. I mean, Diana, you know, you, you've seen what she's done, you know, and how she's handled her expense reports. And it's like, wait, you knew that they were cheating and you never say anything, but now it's convenient to offload your trash cavier. And, yes. and this is the opportunity. And I've seen that yeah. time and time again. And I think, again, that kind of comes back to what is that? That's a demonstration of a lack of integrity or accountability. And accountability, like you don't have to have a high moral compass or, or, you know, be holding yourself to such high regard that you don't allow for mistakes. That's fine. Like I actually think failure allows us to learn. And so that's how I've always learned my life. I just try something. And if it doesn't work out, I learn from that. It's a data point. So it's pure data collection all the time. But for others that are perhaps aren't wired that way, what you're going to get out what you put in, right? So if you're only putting that out into the world and you're only putting that out into your accountability, then obviously when that expense report doesn't get approved or something happens, it's got something will happen to remind you, hang on a sec, you've got to stop and take notice of this. And that'll keep playing out until you understand that that is a pattern and the pattern is entirely up to you how that then plays. Yeah, I love the grit formula. I don't know if you're familiar with the grit formula, but I love the, hey, talent times effort equals skill, right? And so, hey, Mm -hmm. I've got this talent and I've seen a lot of 10 talents with three effort. So it's like, whoa, 10 times three, 30. And then that brings my skill. Okay, skill times effort again. Effort counts twice. 30 times 3 is 90. So my Mm. achievement level on a scale of 0 or 1 to 1,000 is 90. This is one of the most talented people you've ever seen in technology, in music, in language, Mm. in name it. You know, fill in the blank, right? Mm -hmm. Athletics, right? Easy to do. So... I tell people, like, get very real about that formula with your team members because if there is a lack of effort, there's probably a lack of integrity, right? Because we're hired to contribute, and if you don't do your job, I I consider that a lack of integrity. Like, hey, I signed on to do these 10 things. I'm doing three of them. Like, uh, but you're taking all the salary, right? So I tell folks, like, if you have anyone that ever is a sub-200, A, Never hire them, for goodness sakes. And if they're in your organization, get them out as fast as you can. They are wreaking havoc Mm -hmm. on your people. Energy, time, and resource suckers. It ends up being this vampire situation. You carry them and carry them and carry them. But And maybe that's because you see potential in them or you you really do believe that there's that capacity for change. But ultimately, you can't force anybody to do anything ever. It has to come from them and it's, you know, why we have free will. So I feel like there's a, our organizations as a servant leader, you can't run a dictatorship. So if you're allowing that person to stay, then that's a reflection on you too. I reckon your points come down, your capacity for executive function and leadership comes down because of it too. Well, and I think that's why, you know, surrounding yourself with like a 600 you know, 600 mm-hmm. or higher, you've got a bunch of people who either have a lot of talent or a lot of effort. And, you know, I always use that formula on like famous athletes, like a Tom Brady in our football here. Brady starts out, he's a six talent, right? But he's a 10 effort person. So he's a 60, 60 times 10 is 600. And you're like, whoa, that's crazy. But 
each effort, every rep counts. And so you see the talent go to seven and then to eight. And so the other way doesn't work. And I think this is where we get lost is because we see that three effort like, oh, wow, you know, if I could just get her to work a little harder, she's so talented. Like there's so much potential. We're going to wait on her. (laughs) Like, you're like, she's still coming in at 1030. Everyone's been working for two hours, like, and the same project and everyone's doing half her job and holding her in contempt because the effort's not there. And so it's such a struggle. So when you talk about as a leader, how important it is that we surround ourselves with like-minded, accountable people that hold the standard? I think it's critical. I think it's with that question, then the most important ingredient. And I've made a point, particularly in the last, I'd say, 12 months as I've gotten healthier, as I've become more disciplined, as I've really elevated myself in the ways that I had been fighting for coming out of so much adversity. And so knowing, also adding an ingredient in there of knowledge and understanding and the data point of you can die at any time and we're all on this planet for a reason. And, you know, adding all of these bits together kind of means that people that get my time and the people that I surround myself with are so highly curated. I'd rather spend time alone if it means that I'd have to track or or kind of trade my energy for a vampire or with a vampire because it's just not, it's so critical to me it's my life force the difference between whether or not i have pain or or not chronic pain or you know it really is kind of the difference sometimes between whether that's a good or a bad day or an abundant outcome or it's so critical so those people incredibly important and you can have five you can have ten but i choose to keep them really small like it is it's you know count on one hand oh you know you talked about withdrawal because I think this is a good, you know, first of all, none of us think we're that person, by the way, ever. Right? Like, well, you know, I'm doing my thing. Like, I'm sure I'm not weighing the, you know, the organization down, right? I tell a lot of folks when you're, when you're around world beaters, when you're around people of high integrity and high standard and they're getting things done. And when you see people pulling back and they stop talking to you, the end is near. They don't believe like you're worthy of their time and effort. it's like a spigot that turns off they just turn the handle and like i just can't give them any more of my energy any more of my time any more of my effort they're just not going to simply get it and so it's off and it's like whoa hey you know i used to spend a lot of time with my regional manager used to take me out to lunches and stuff but now he never calls now he never doesn't he never talks to me i'm like "Hmm." you know like how's that going (laughs) like i'm like How's your resume? You know, like, yeah, it's yeah. time to brush up on it because this is getting close. And so let's pivot a little bit to, you know, you, you've you been involved with the Abundance 360 program, Peter mm-hmm. Diamandis. I mean, and, and you have your own abundance theory. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's just an equation and I came up with it to help explain this understanding that I'd learned, which was that if I actively curated and chose to seek abundance and seek an abundance outcome, I would get that. So it kind of started with just, you know, being alone in a hospital during a pandemic. It was like just me and God and I'm like, okay, well, I watched this pattern play out. But then I needed a way to explain it to people and particularly at the time it was how do I explain this to my ex-husband who's not got strong uh, historical empathy and is neurodivergent. Like he's very wired cerebrally. Like he's very wired in the brain. So how do I explain it? So 
I sat and kind of worked out that if you can curate and be aware of your energy as well as your connection with that person, um, the time and then raise your frequency, they will match it or they won't. But if they do, you get an exponential. So you really create an exponential abundant outcome. So if you're both kind of at that frequency of, you know, giving, let's say they're like you're freely giving or providing, you know, advice or whatever it is that you're both freely giving to each other, it creates this vortex of, of an exponential increase in, in what you can create together. Wow. So energy time what's the c stand for so it's a equals e so energy times time times connection times frequency nice and you get abundance wow that's awesome i was like that and that that explains it to him and guess what because he's so wired for maths and science he got it it helped him in a number of ways that's so cool so Coming back, I want to finish with the mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, you and I share this thing of this lucid event in our lives. Mine was post-surgical where uh, I fell into this time where I would wake up. Only happened to me twice out of a deep sleep. And I would be fully aware cognitively of everything that was going on. I could not open my eyes. I could hear. My brain was fully active. And I could not move. Like paralyzed. And I mean, paralyzed to the fact like, I, you know, swallowing, right? Like it was quite crazy. Mm-hmm. And you've been through something like this too. And you've been through all these challenges and these surgeries. These, I mean, it's significant along the way. And the body's rehabilitating. The body is reproducing. But you're also rehabilitating your mindset and, and, and building that back up. Talk us through because everyone's going through a challenge. And big or small, like, I don't know if the body knows anything. It's a distress, right? And, and it's mm. a distressful signal that's coming in. It's not you stress. We're not elated by it, right? We're mm. like, oh crap, this is bad, right? Like yeah. the body starts reacting. And one of the things that you and, you and I talked a little bit offline is like, why don't we train anybody for this distress when it's going to happen? Because we're all going to get distress at some point, right? Mm. And if I go to my tool belt, like, oh, I just went to the distress. Like, and I look for the tool belt. And I'm like, oh, I don't have any tools in my belt. <laughs> like, if if, I, if I'm standing there in front of the doorway and I gotta fix it, I gotta you know drop some drywall and sheet and hammer. I've got hammers. I've got you know tape. I've got all the stuff. I got tools, right? Mm-hmm. And now here we have these people in this stressful situation and no tools. I think the body and the mind. My my caveat to this answer is that the body and the mind actually are incredible works of art and often in those times you will find something automatic beautifully automatic happens anyway so if you just surrender in that moment and have some self-compassion you will allow for that process to happen quicker but if you don't then there are tools and there are ways you can train your mind and your body to some degree for uh, adversity or adverse situations. Look at Navy SEALs, look at Goggins, like all these guys are out there. They are actively training the mind for when adversity and suffering comes. And that's one way to do it. I just happen to have learned how to do it through facing it without much choice. The thing that I realized, and I guess the one tool that you can use is recognizing the choice recognizing the choice you have in the moment 
and allowing a little bit of space, whether it's a breath, whether it's just putting some music in your ears, whether it's going and talking to somebody that you, you know that you trust about that situation, whatever it is that is going to help just give a little bit of space to that moment so that you can alchemize and make a decision. And when we're faced with things like going into a coma, you don't get a whole lot of space to do that, right? right. Like it just happens and you're like, oh, my God. But I don't know, and we were talking about this, like the same kind of thing ended up happening where at one point, yes, it was terrifying. Yes, it was scary. And yes, it's, you feel helpless in those moments. Suffering yeah. makes you feel helpless. We all feel like that, no matter what the suffering is. Like Honestly, that is universal. The thing that's perhaps the difference for whether or not that outcome remains and keeps you in suffering or perpetuates the suffering or makes it things worse in your life or whether or not you use it for better and create it um, abundantly as a better outcome and a positive is simply a decision in how you look at it. And in my case, I chose to look at all of those surgeries and all of those moments and all of that pain and all of that suffering and just go, okay, there has to be a reason for this because I don't know many humans that have been through this and come out the other side. I'm grateful for the miracle, but why? And so I'd look for the why or, or like, okay, what does this mean? What could this be representative of? I just started looking for more meaning and making mm. decisions based from there rather than just this is happening to me because uh, nothing ever happens to us anyway. There's, there's a lot more behind this when we get into it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just had this conversation earlier this morning about uh, with a good friend who we, we were like, I'm, I'm not asking why anymore. I'm asking what. What do you want mm -hmm. me to learn from this? What am mm -hmm. I supposed to see? The why almost feels victimy to me, right? But why did this happen to me? Like, why? why am I not, you know, good enough? And, you know, and I feel like, it just feels too negative almost to me. And I don't want to discount that. I'm not saying don't be curious because why is a great curious question, right? Yeah. And I don't want to discount we should drop our curiosity. But I do think what's a better question than why sometimes. And I think one of the things that, you know, you and the SEALs kind of have in common is, yeah, they're going to the island and they're getting trained and everything else. But it's a choice that they make to be there. And then yeah. they make it very uncomfortable. So. They get so much confidence being in distress because they yeah. do it again and again and they have a pretty positive outcome. Like typically, <laughs> typically no one dies, right? And so yeah. they, they, they come back out of that training and it's a big deal. And this is why I think people should be coming to you, Sharky, a coach, because they're in a situation that they may have gone through distress. And I want someone to have the confidence who's been through the distress, who's been through the challenge and understands the what that I'm expecting mm -hmm. because it's not going to be forever, right? No, and it never, ever is. It Never. And it gets shorter and shorter and shorter the more you start to become conscious of this. If you just look for how this plays out, suffering is a teacher. It has, it has so much value. And I've started to develop skills in both camps. So in the abundance camp, but also like, okay, what did I actually do in that moment with that surgery or, or that recovery or learning to walk? Like what were the actual things that I did and listing them out as steps that other people can take? Because anyone can draw, you can literally draw on that for anything. And so even applying that in my own life and going back and <laughs> reading my own book <laughs> and writing the book has been really helpful to remind me because it, it is like suffering all over again and it, 
you know, with your two books, I don't know if you feel like that, but it is anything you are bringing into the world, you literally are having to birth it again. And so I'm going through every surgery, every brain, you know, moment waking up in intensive care, every single little data point. And it's brutal. It is really taught. Yeah, I don't, I actually don't recommend that to people. It's awesome. And we're going to all benefit from it because of your experience. But I often use the term, hey, it's great to review it. It's not great to relive it. So I want to review it, but I don't want to relive it. So I want to take and extract and sponge out the message. But like, I don't want to put myself back in abuse, back in where I was at years and years ago. It's a hard thing to separate that line though, right? Completely. And I I found it helpful to have things like music where I can bring that out and then just leave it there. It's quite cathartic actually. You've absolutely alchemized this distress and understanding what you've gone through and, and the what. And why don't you talk to us a little bit as you strip this down to will and determination for people mm-hmm. out there that are going through some hard things what does will and determination look like and, and what would you ask of them to really grasp everybody has a will within them and we're born with it i don't think that that i think that over time things chip away at that will and that will particularly for mothers particularly for fathers particularly for those of us that have reasons but even if we don't have reasons to have a strong will we should find it And the reason why is because everybody needs to understand that they're worth it. Everyone. There is not a person, not a human being on this planet that is not worth it. No matter what they've done, no matter how bad things have got, no matter what they've inflicted, what wounds they've created, what bad things they've put out into the world, everyone's still worth it. Yeah. Without question. Can be forgiven. Completely. And I'm not suggesting condoning bad behavior or breaking the law in any way, but I do think that programs that help rehabilitate people or bring people back to self-compassion often hurt people, hurt people. So we need to stop that cycle. We have, But the will has to come from within. It can't come from anywhere else. And the will that I noticed within me was so strong, every single time I had a surgery, it got stronger and stronger, almost pathological. It became this like, all right, I'm going to fuel myself from this moment. And the worse it was, the more I fueled. <laughs> so I, you know, and I would fuel, I get fuel and energy from those situations, but that is not a positive thing. I would not wish anybody to have to do that. It's just that that is how I survived it because it was so bad. There was no other option and the will would have just left me. So I just maintain leaning into fostering and honing and encouraging that will, getting that stronger and stronger and stronger. Determination was the other component. So determination, you know, you mentioned that's just using the will effectively in a positive way that then provides an abundant outcome. So for me, determination is reaching a goal. So setting a goal, reaching it, and then giving yourself the reward, the dopamine, and being your own generator of these things instead of externalizing it so much. Yeah, love it. Sarah, Kate, Harkness, Sharky, tell them where they can find you before we go. Come and find me on mama underscore Sharky on Instagram. That's the easiest way to find me or Sharky CEO on LinkedIn. And you can find me at projectlotus.info or abundancewithsharky.com. 
That's awesome. That's so great. So thank you for everybody else. Winners Find a Way show every Friday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific. Come and join us. Hear the best of these one percenters like my good friend Sarah Kate Harkness. You are awesome. And until next time, everybody, we'll see you then. Rebellious Infusions are organic flavored water enhancers. Rebellious provides clean, focused energy in liquid packets. Just tear the corner of the packet and pour 16 ounces of water. Rebellious Infusions have no sugar, no calories, and up to 300 milligrams of antioxidants and loads of L-thionine for brain health. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 999-99. Do you want to be our next guest? Or do you have inspiring stories to share? Or do you love to inspire, support, and empower thought leaders? Feel free to send Trent a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at Leadershipity.